This podcast is sponsored by internationally renowned Cuban artists, Wilmer y Maria. If you want to learn how to dance or improve your Afro rumba and Cuban dance skills, visit their website, wilmerymaria.com. That's W-I-L-M-E-R-Y-M-A-R-I-A.com. They currently have five different online classes for all skill levels that you can sign up for now. Visit wilmerymaria.com, sign up for a class and start learning today. This podcast is also sponsored by clothing company Raised by Latinos, a local streetwear brand committed to increasing Latino representation and highlighting positive contributions from the Latino community worldwide. They have great designs for headwear, t-shirts, hoodies, and more on their website, raisedbylatinos.com. Use the code DANSCULTURA, all in one word and lowercase, to get 10% off your next purchase. You don't need to be a Latino or Latina to rock this streetwear, so make sure you visit the website raisedbylatinos.com and place your order today. Welcome to episode 11 of the Dance Cultura podcast. In this episode, we talk to Jennifer Oquan, the founder of Steps and Studio and the Canada Salsa and Bachata Congress, the longest running Salsa and Bachata Congress in Canada. Jennifer has been dancing her whole life and she fell in love with Salsa when she visited the Dominican Republic when she was just 19 years old. She has dedicated her life to the art form of Latin dance ever since. Her dedication, focus, and optimism are contagious, especially in these times. She's an example that you don't have to come from a specific background in order to love and contribute to its culture. We're so excited for you to listen to this episode. Please welcome Jennifer O'Quan. Jennifer, thank you very much for being here, for your time. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me. We are very excited to talk to you, especially because we know you are a main contributor and you have been a main contributor to the dance scene for many, many years. And we finally have you here, which is amazing. Oh. Uh, let's just start this interview with the obvious, right? And that is the pandemic. Now, as we know, a lot of uh, studios alongside with the hospitality industry and restaurants, they were hit very, very hard uh, during this pandemic. Could you share some of the challenges and curveballs that you and your team have faced during this pandemic? Oh, uh, wow. That's probably a whole hour. Um, we, this is the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with professionally mm. ever in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been teaching, you know, it's the 20 year anniversary of steps next year. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, the 18th anniversary of the Congress and, um, yeah, I've never seen anything like this, never anticipated anything like this. Um, I think dance is one of the, especially the way we dance, you know, salsa and bachata and Latin dance is one of the hardest hits because we dance with a partner, we dance with strangers. You know, we, one of the points is to social dance with lots of different people. Um, so yeah, we've, we've, it's, it's heartbreaking. I don't know what else to say. Um, you know, in the beginning, we switched within a week of being closed in March, we switched to an online virtual platform and we started live streaming and teaching online. Um, and we did that until we were allowed to have outdoor classes. Then we switched to having live stream and outdoor classes. And then as soon as we got the go ahead, we went back indoors and we had indoor, outdoor and live stream. Mm. You know, we wear a mask when we're in the studio, we wear masks while we're teaching or face shields. Um, it's, it's changed, you know, everything It's the changed the whole 
structure of how, the yeah. whole dynamic, the whole structure of how we run our business. Um, you know, obviously people can't rotate partners in a class, so they have to dance with the same person for the whole hour. They have to come with a partner and stay with that partner. Um, but I feel like, and then, you know, we were closed down again yes. two and a half weeks ago. And then yes. that was actually quite, quite beautiful because it was really a group of, you know, 600 dance studio owners across Ontario that were together in a Facebook group and lobbied and argued and got and basically collaborated to say yes. to the government, this makes no sense. Yes. Mm. You know, they, yes. we actually did. Um, we took all of the data from all of the schools as to how many students had visited their school in the, from August 10th to October 10th. And all of the people, I don't even know how many dance schools replied, but out of all the replies, I think there was 180,000 visits. Wow. All the different schools, like, like each student that comes every single class, basically every attendee, 180,000 attendees over the, the two month period. And there was one positive case. That, yeah, that doesn't really make sense. And so we're like, why, why are we being shut down? Why are we being lumped into other businesses that are so different from us? You know, we don't yeah. use equipment. We have six foot markers all over the floors. We wear masks, we hand sanitize, we take temperatures, we contact, like we do everything. Mm -hmm. We sanitize the doorknobs, the stereos, the everything, every hour. Wow. So, um, it was, but it was, it was really amazing to see how collaborative everybody was. These dance studio owners that I didn't know that would just, you know, one, one person called me out of the blue. I've never met her. And she just said, Hey, I'm just, you know, what are you guys doing? And how are you doing this? And, you know, mm. people just sharing information and people saying, I can't get a hold. Like we couldn't get a hold of our MPP. We've never been able to get a hold of our MPP, mm. but another dance studio, another salsa teacher in Toronto could. So I reached out to her, you know, what is your MPP saying? Because it's so hard to get actual information from the government right now. It's yes. almost impossible. Their websites, you know, they make an announcement on the news and then their website's not updated for four weeks. So we're just like, you know, stumbling in the dark. So to have the dance community come together has been really, really amazing. I think that's actually one of the, one of the beautiful things that's come out of it. The fact that now the, the studio owners are... You know, We're they're more, to, yeah. Yeah. I mean, not that there was ever, you know, animosity or anything, but a lot of us didn't know each other in other dance genres or, you know, now we have a lot of dance teachers who rent our space from us as well. So we're also, you know, I feel like there's just more, more like a feeling that, yeah, more unity. We're all in this together. We're yes. all in the same boat. We all want dance to survive this and to yes. thrive and to help people with their, you know, physical and mental well-being. Mm. so yeah it's been it's quite you know no congress this year um no socials no parties no no, no uh, salsa on st Clair. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> no so it's it's kind of you know i i feel like the students that are coming are so appreciative and they they just you know they're there every day and they're super supportive. Um, but unfortunately, there's a lot of people who won't come back to dance or won't come back yet. And so- Won't come back yet, yeah, because they're afraid of it, yes. Yeah, so I think um, everybody's hanging on by a thread. Yeah, yeah. And so the first time when this happened and everybody went into, the sh into shutdown, how long 
was that shutdown for your studio? Because I know that for restaurants was months. Five months. Five mm. months. Five months. We thought, you know, we thought it would be three weeks. <laughs> you know, three weeks, we got this. I'll just, like, no you know, worries. We'll just, we'll just chill for three weeks. We'll teach online <laughs> yeah. and then we'll, yeah, five months we were shut down. And how was the response of your student base to the online and the outdoors uh, classes? You know, I think in the beginning it was great. Mm -hmm. um, I think everybody, I don't know how to say this. I think everybody did the best they could. So mm -hmm. everybody who could afford to continue taking classes did. Yes. But a lot of people lost their jobs. A lot of people yes. had no income. You know, a lot of our students are in that kind of 20 to 35 year old demographic that some of them are still, you know, they, they do contract work or part-time work. And so um, it was difficult. A lot of, a lot of people, I think there was in the beginning, people were like, okay, great. We'll do it on zoom. And we were doing, you know, we were doing fun things. Like we had movie parties, we'd watch dance movies and we mm -hmm. do it with um, Netflix watch parties. So with oh, yeah. our students, we could all watch movies together. So we did things like that. We did, um, you know, fun interviews with the staff and we did like little uh, open forum discussions. Like we did a lot of fun things that we don't necessarily get time to do in the studio. Mm -hmm. But after four months, you know, people get zoomed out. Yes. <laughs> people, yes. are, people were tired of working on Zoom all day, doing their workouts on Zoom, taking a dance class on Zoom, talking to their families on Zoom. Um, That's a term that you probably just coined. Like, zoomed I'm, out. So, I'm zoomed, zoomed out. out. I'm zoomed out. I'm zoomed out. I'm zoomed out. So I think, you know, and then the weather got nicer. So I feel like up until, you know, June, up until May, June, I think, and people were still thinking it was like this temporary thing that they just had to deal with for a while. Mm. So it was okay. And then when the weather got nicer, people were like, I don't want to be on Zoom. I want to be outdoors. And so, mm. you know, obviously the numbers in the online classes dropped. Um, the outdoor classes did really well, but again, you know, they're based on social distancing and yeah. how many people can we fit and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, mm -hmm. that is crazy. And about the government relief programs, did that actually help the studio? No, no. Mm. Um, I mean, yes and no, I shouldn't say no. Sorry. That's from an angry place, <laughs> um, which is valid. Yeah, valid. absolutely. You know, I, I'm grateful to live in Canada. I'm grateful that our government is trying and is caring about the people that live in this country. I have a lot of friends who live in a lot of other countries where they got absolutely zero or they got mm. like a bag of rice. Mm. Um, So I totally appreciate that. I don't think all of the measures, I'm, I'm tired of hearing every day that small businesses are the backbone of the Canadian economy and they're not really doing enough to help Canadian businesses. So, you know, even, even some friends of mine, you know, who don't own their own businesses were like, oh, but the government's, you know, doing this, this, this loan. I'm like, yeah, it's a loan. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's a loan that I then have to pay back. Pay back, yes. At a yes. time when I have no income, you know, or... no income, yeah. no revenue. Yeah. Um, and the you know the landlord relief, our our landlord was was wonderful enough to apply for it. It's just it's just a strange. It was a strange program for the government to put into place. So basically, every small business was at the mercy of their landlord. If their landlord was kind, if their landlord had compassion they survived. Mm -hmm. If their landlord chose not to apply to the program or wasn't compassionate, they went bankrupt. Uh, wow. And it was, you know, our landlord was kind, um, but 
you know, we still had to pay rent. We, we still had to pay rent even while we were closed for five months. Mm. The government helped and paid part of it. But, you know, when you think from, and I, I'm sure a landlord has a totally different perspective, but from a business perspective, you know, when your revenue drops 90% and your expenses only drop 40%, the excitement. you're just paying, you know, you're just paying that, that balance. And then for the landlords, they were getting 75% of their rent from the government and from their tenant combined. So they went down 25%. We went down 90. Mm. So, you know, there was a lot of days when I was angry. Yeah. <laughs> and not at, not at, you know, not at anyone in particular, just everything, everything this year, I'm sure for everybody just feels weird and unfair and bizarre and surreal. Yeah. It is surreal. Surreal. Very surreal. That's a great word. As a matter of fact, a month and a half ago, Annie and I went to eat at a patio. And then we were walking. Do you remember the street? It was King. King or Queen, yeah. It was just so, I don't even know what the word is. It's like a ghost town. Yeah. So many uh, businesses were shutting down. Yeah. And you're like, wow, I've never seen this in Toronto. Never. Yeah. Especially yeah. In, a, in a street like that. Yeah. That is a prime street. Yeah. Yeah, even on Young Street, you know, when I walk down Young Street near the studio, like from, you know, St. Clair down to Bloor, it's all small businesses, yeah. you know, front, like street front businesses. And I would say 35% of them are gone already. Yeah. At least. Is that a thought mm -hmm. that ever entered your mind that that might be a possibility for steps? It's still a possibility. Mm. It's, it's, I mean, we're fighter, like, I, I have several friends who own restaurants and yoga studios and other dance studios, and some of them have closed mm. for good, that have had successful, thriving businesses for 10 or 15 years, and they're closed, um, and not because they did anything wrong. Yeah. I think, you know, it's one thing as an entrepreneur to, when you own a business, there's always this pressure to succeed, for the business to succeed. Mm. Um, and there's always this looming, like, oh my God, every day I could fail or every day, you know, but this is weird because this is like, it's not even in our control Yes. because if it was in my control, I wouldn't let it fail. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I think that people need to really realize how many people and how many businesses are struggling. I think, yes. you know. It, on the outside, everything can look fine, um, but everybody I know is literally teetering on the edge. And what has kept you and your team fighting for, for steps? What, what is that source of, of fight? Uh, partially because, you know, we love what we do. We believe in it. We believe in our community, we see how amazing the people are and how I've seen over you know, my entire lifetime how dance changes people. It changes their lives. It changes their outlook. It changes their everything. It, it changes how you live your life, how you spend your time, uh, what you focus on, how you feel. And so for me, I'm not a quitter. I'm not mm -hmm. gonna give up. Um, I don't know. I just keep, you know, some of my friends are like, so how, you know, how long do you think you can, you know, 
And we're just like, I don't know, we're just gonna fight. We're just fighting and we're just, um, one, one dance teacher that I know that she kind of reminded me in a, a Zoom call, <laughs> um, but it was really great. She said, you know, dance has been around since the beginning of time. Mm. And dance has been part of humanity yes. since we were on this planet. Yes. And that's not gonna change. And festivals have been around since the beginning of time. People have always Forever. come together and danced. People have always come together to celebrate. And so that kind of just keeps us going. And our students keep us going, the ones you know that are back and that are happy and the ones that come online and they do the class live stream, the ones that come to the studio. We know how important it is to them. So yeah. we're not we're not gonna give up. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't I didn't think that dance had that much of an effect on my mental health, to be honest. I thought it was a fun hobby, a place where I could see my friends. And then from dancing a couple times a week, whether it's in rehearsal for a team or social dancing, to nothing. Yeah. For to, months. For, for months, months now, had yeah. such a drastic impact on my mental health. And I'm still reeling from that, you know, because yeah. there is the opportunity to join classes online, but it just doesn't, for me, it doesn't feel the same, you know? And so I wish we could have that community again, but it's just not something that's possible for, for who knows how long. Yeah. I mean, we have, but our classes, I gotta say, like to take an in-studio class still feels really good. Mm. Mm. And even with a mask or even with a face shield or, you know, even with all the protocols, still fun. Yeah. You know, the students are still smiling and dancing and, and there's still, there's that energy is still there. It's just not as many people in the room. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're right. I think the world yeah. is just, is just changed and we just have to accommodate those changes, yeah. you know? Yeah. I think we have to sometimes accommodate the changes and sometimes fight for how we want the world to be. Mm. I mean, I remember walking into the studio and the rooms would be packed. Oh yeah. Packed. That's something that Steps and Studio was really good at. It was just attracting people and the rooms would be I don't know, like to capacity basically. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, it was uh there was an you know, there's an an energy to that. And yes. there's um a vibe to that. Mm -hmm. So you know, I mean, the great thing is, you know, all of our teachers are still with us. All of them are still either teaching or they're kind of waiting for us to add more classes so that they can come back and teach. Mm. Um, a lot of them kept teaching online. Some of them, some of them didn't, but some of them just because they felt like they, some of them didn't need the, the money. They had full-time jobs. So like, no, mm. let's, let's let somebody else who's only doing, who's, who's relying on the dance for their income to teach. And um, so <laughs> Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It's been <laughs> kind of a downer no. conversation. I know. I was going to say, I mean, it's, um, I think we've had these conversations probably every day in some form since the pandemic started. So I'd love to take the conversation another place because what I have yeah. gathered from just you talking about your students and your fight is that you're so passionate about dance and what dance can bring to people's lives. So I know you've been dancing for a long time, your whole life in all sorts of different dance styles. Um, but what was it that made you stick to Latin dance and sort of get involved in this way and, and sort of have that be your career? Um, 
I started dancing salsa when I was 19 uh, because I went to the Dominican Republic on a trip on a vacation and I fell in love with the music and the culture and the, the music, the food, the dance, everything. And um, when I started dancing, I just, I just knew it was like, I just, it was something I loved to do. And so I was doing it six days a week mm. and I never intended it to be a career. I didn't mm. know it could be a career. I was mm. doing it because I loved it. I was just doing it. It was my hobby. It was my passion. It was what I did with my free time. I would work, you know, from eight in the morning until like, I mean, at one point when I was, I was already teaching, I was working during the day with children from, you know, eight in the morning till five, then teaching from six until 10, then going out salsa dancing until two in the morning. Wow. What? Like we're talking, we're talking like every day. Dedication. Every day. I don't know if it was dedication or youth or craziness, but <laughs> a combination um, a combination of all three. I know people are like, well, how come you don't go out so much? And I'm like, well, because I went out a lot yeah. <laughs> when I was younger. Um, and so, yeah, I didn't know in the beginning that that's, it was going to be a career. It was just something I love to do. And then I decided, I always knew that I didn't want a job. I'd read a lot of interesting books and kind of self-help and development books from a very young age, like from probably the age of like 12. And so I knew that I never wanted a job that I disliked or that I hated. Mm. I didn't want to spend that much of my life that many waking hours every day doing something I wasn't passionate about. And um, so I started teaching. It was a conscious decision to like leave a corporate job and start teaching full time. Mm. But I just thought it was what I was doing for now because that's what I loved and that's how I wanted to spend my time. Mm. And it wasn't until I went to my first Congress, which was in 1999. Wow. Were you guys born? <laughs> yes, but very. We were very young. You're very little. <laughs> um, so yeah, that first Congress is where I met Eddie Torres and Nelson mm. Flores and David Melendez and the Vasquez brothers and Joby. You know all these amazing teachers, and I saw for the first time. Oh, this is their career. Yes. Mm. This isn't just like I'm a salsa teacher on the side this was, or I'm going to do this for the next year. This was their career. This was their life's work. And so I realized that it was an actual thing. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know that that existed and that that was an option until I saw them. So Jennifer, just for context, what was your corporate job back then? Oh, I have a degree in urban planning. Oh, nice. Oh. That is <laughs> And, and applied cool. geography. Yeah. So okay. completely unrelated. <laughs> okay, I'm I mean, I'm a civil engineer and I, was a, I went to business school, so business yeah. school and, you know, but then you were saying that you were working with children. Yeah, because my whole life. So I was a gymnast as a child and then I did gym, I did ballet for many, many, many years. And so from the age of like 14, I was also coaching gymnastics and mm. I was teaching ballet and I was teaching dance and I was teaching aerobics and working with children. So, you know, up until I was. 25, I was teaching kids or teaching, you know, dance or aerobics or movement of some sort, but not necessarily full-time salsa. So just to understand, you were doing your urban planning job or corporate job, nine to five, and then you were coaching in some sort. Uh, yeah. So, so as a, as a teenager, I was coaching. I was, oh, I, I was helping ballet and I was an assistant ballet teacher. I was coaching gymnastics. 
Um, and then I was teaching aerobics and then after, and all through university, I was dancing salsa at night. And whenever I didn't go to an 8 a.m. class, my profs knew that it was because I was dancing salsa that I was work. <laughs> and during university, I was also coaching and teaching dance and teaching gymnastics. And then after university, I had a corporate, like a real job, I will say, a nine to five job. And I lasted a year and I quit and I went back to teaching kids and teaching. I was running a dance and gymnastics program at a community center. And then I started teaching salsa one night a week. And then I just built it up until I was doing that all the time. How did it feel? How did you feel at that moment when you said, okay, I'm living this to pursue something that is not certain, something that is not secure? What was happening with you at that moment? Um, so I was 25 when I quit my corporate job or 24, something like that. And so I don't think I worried really about, you know, stability and security. I mean, I, I was 24. I wasn't really thinking of like, you know, buying a house or having RSPs. So that was, that was okay. But I do remember, and I, I've told this story before, but I, I read a book called The Vein of Gold by Julia Cameron. And in that book, she talks about, it's, an, it's a book about creativity. And in that book, she talks about doing something called morning pages. And morning pages is where you wake up. And as soon as you wake up, you write three pages freehand of stream of consciousness. So whatever comes into your brain, it could be, oh, I'm so thirsty or, oh, I didn't sleep well, or I want to move to Alaska. I mean, it could be anything. You just write and write and write and write. And I did that for a year. And when I, and then I quit my job and I started teaching. And a year later, I looked back at those notes And I had everything, everything I had written on those, in those morning pages. Wow. That is yeah. insane. That yeah, is it's pretty insane. insane. So you start teaching. What is the story? How did Step Dance Studio comes to life? Oh, good question. Uh, I was teaching. So I had, I had been, I helped a teacher teach their classes. And then when I quit my job, I started teaching on my own. And I was teaching at a language school. So I was teaching dance at a language school and I started with one class per week and then I built it up to nine classes per week. And then I realized it was kind of time to do it on my own. And so I started just renting space by the hour in different parts of the city. And I started teaching with like with Giovanni Torres and with some other people in the city. We, we had him and I and a couple of other people had gone to that first Congress together in 1999. So we started teaching together. And then I started just, I guess, taking it more seriously or put kind of um, solidifying what I wanted to teach. So I started steps on my own and I started continue to teach and just rent out space by the hour. And it's now been almost 20 years. What was it like at the time? Because I'm not really that familiar with what dance studios were around at the time. What was the reception like when you started a new studio? Well, I've only, the, the actual like studio space of steps I've had for maybe, I don't even know how long that was, maybe 14 years ago. Mm. I opened like the permanent, what our first permanent location, like full-time location. Um, I mean, at the time, there weren't a lot of 
women teaching. Mm. I mean, I think Stephanie Gernon and myself, and maybe there was one or two others, there weren't very many women teaching and there weren't very many non-Latino people teaching. Um, but I don't know, I don't, and, and people ask me this all the time. I don't remember really, I just loved it. I wasn't mm. really worried like about the reception, if it would be received or not. Yeah. I was always a teacher. I've always been a teacher. So I had been teaching from a really young age, just other types of movement and dance. And so teaching came naturally and, and comes naturally to me. And so I don't know, I don't know. It was just, it was just um, the belief that I could teach, I think. Mm -hmm. I just always knew I could teach. And was there any kind of backlash from the Latinos teachers kind of looking at you and being like, oh, wait a minute, how come she is now teaching? And, you know, Not like... to my face. Okay. <laughs> well, that, that is fair. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if, I mean, <laughs> I, I've had this conversation with a good friend of mine who is Latino um, because, I, you know, last spring when everybody was discussing all of the political issues and, and Black Lives Matter, and I started thinking, wow, like maybe all these people are not okay with me teaching something that is part of their culture. Mm -hmm. And I felt really kind of horrified me that they could think that. And I know, I mean, he doesn't speak for everybody, but he was like, but you love it. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like, you know, and I've always felt like I, I, I really try to speak Spanish as I'm not a hundred percent fluent, but I really try to speak Spanish. I, I try to, you know, I really embrace the culture. The culture is one of the things that I love about salsa the most is the language, the food, the people, their, their, their culture, their beliefs. I love that part. And I think it's, maybe I'm wrong and maybe I'm being, um, I don't know what the word is. Maybe I'm trying to soothe my, <laughs> mm. soothe myself, but I feel like there is a difference when you love and respect the culture. Yes. Um, oh, there's a huge difference. Yeah. You can yeah. feel the authenticity. I hope so. I mean, half my friends are Latinos and I, I think they know how much I love their culture and, and all the different cultures that make up that, that one overriding culture. So I don't feel, I never felt, yeah. I, and again, it was never to my face. I never had anybody say to me, how dare you teach salsa? I mean, I had people say, what? Yeah, You're a teacher. I mean, I had that millions of times. Or some, if I would travel and I would be in another city, and they'd be like, "What do you do?" I'm like, "I'm a dance teacher." What kind mm. of dance? Salsa. But okay. you're like Canadian. <laughs> they have salsa in Canada, <laughs> and then you know, but you're like this white chick, and so I get that all the time. But I never ever got this. You don't. You shouldn't be teaching it. Mm -hmm. I, I never got that, and even with the Congress. I mean, I think I also had to prove myself. Mm -hmm. I think I had to prove myself over time that I wasn't just doing this to make money. I wasn't doing this for a year to like, you yeah. know, appease something like this is, I mean, it's been my entire adult life. Yeah. And that attitude is so important. I think it's so key to have the mindset of I'm doing this because I love it. I'm not going to focus on other people's perceptions. It wasn't even in your mind, right? You're, you have a singular vision of this is what I want for my life and I'm going to do it. And then that led to you starting a studio where so many students have found a purpose and have added so much to their lives. And also a, a Congress that is very, very big that employs a lot of artists and has brought 
a lot more um, diversity to Toronto mm. and also just made the dance scene more popular, you know? So that mindset is so key. And it's it's nice that that you were able to do that because I think that kind of blazes the trail for other people who might not be Latinos but have the same passion for dance. Yeah, it it never even occurred to me that, and maybe that's really arrogant. I don't know. It just never occurred to me that I couldn't. It, it didn't. Mm. That's, I love that. That is, that is amazing though because, I you know, that. sometimes we ourselves are the ones that stop ourselves from experiencing something great, mm -hmm. right? Is when you right. allow doubts and fear to say, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Who am I to be doing this? That's when you stop a dream or a passion project. But you said, like, I've been teaching and you you've had been teaching since you were 14. So you mm -hmm. had already developed those teaching skills because you can, we all know this in the, in the dance community, you can have amazing dancers just right. because you're an amazing dancer that doesn't mean you're an amazing teacher <laughs> right. right right so if you have right. those skills and you have that passion like you came together and and i mean what you have created has a foundation otherwise you wouldn't have come this far i don't think i could have lasted this long in this industry if i didn't love it mm. <laughs> I, i don't think anybody could mm. it's not you know i think people kind of sniff out people that aren't really doing it because they love it yeah. and to teach something, you know, you're giving, you're giving away what's inside of you. When you teach you're, you're giving everything. It's not like we teach 30% of what we know. We try to teach everything we know. We don't really hold back. That's not the point. So you can't do that if you don't, if you don't love it mm -hmm. or you can't do it well, I don't think, or consistently if you mm -hmm. don't love it. And you can't inspire others or, or attract others to collaborate with you or work with you or, um, you know, respect you mm -hmm. if you don't, mm -hmm. if you don't have that, that passion for it. We mentioned already that something else that you have done is the Congress, right? The Canada Salsa and Bachata Congress. How did that start? And uh, what is the preparation process? For a congress of that size it started um because a friend and mentor his name was david melendez i met him at that first congress i went to so for i guess four years i was going to four to eight congresses a year uh traveling all over um you know paying for everything myself you know we were flying there to hotels congress passes and i was just training with all these different teachers and i loved congresses like i would not i would i would just basically be awake and levitating for five days of the congress like i wouldn't sleep i wouldn't eat i was just like i loved it i loved every single minute and my friend david he was running the new york salsa congress and he said come on jen let's do it in canada i'm like nope not ready <laughs> and he'd you know a few months later he'd call me up let's let's do a congress in toronto jan i'm like nope don't want to too much work and he just kept asking for about three years and i knew how much work it would be i'd already run competitions i'd already you know organized other events and so i just kept saying no 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 and then i don't know one day he called and i said yes and it was it just kind of bubbled up like i didn't really think about it i said okay And so we agreed to do the first one together and it was 
I just immediately felt like I knew, again, I don't know how to explain it. I knew how to do it. Mm-hmm. So he did it with me, but I remember just, it was very natural, the thought process of what had to be done because I'd been to so many events and I knew what I liked and what I didn't mm-hmm. like about them and what I wanted to make sure happened at mine and didn't happen at mine. And I remember that first year, it was 2003. And, you know, I, the shows ended on that first night and I had to go and do stuff at the registration. And I came back into the ballroom at midnight and I was like, I'm at a Congress. Like I just, it was, I didn't even realize I was at my Congress. I was at Mm. a Congress and it had that, it had that vibe. It had that energy. It had that electricity. And I was in Toronto. I'm like, wow, I didn't have to fly anywhere. (laughs) I didn't have to go to Puerto Rico or go to Miami or go to LA or go to New York. Um, That was how it started. So that was how it started was he encouraged me and he was kind of a mentor to me. And he said, let's do this. And then after the first year, I said, I, you know, I think I can, can do this on my own. And he said, great. He said, I just wanted you to do it. I can't remember the other part of the question. So the second part of the question is, what is the preparation process Mm -hmm. for a Congress of that size? I start planning the Congress the September of the year before. So it takes a full year to start planning. It takes a full year. Wow. Yes. And so as I'm in like the the crazy last four, six week stretch before the actual that year's event, I'm starting to make notes for next year. I'm starting to make lists and notes and reminders of how I want things to be different or what I want to change. Um, During the Congress, our volunteers and my my volunteer coordinator, my registration coordinator, they're constantly taking notes themselves of what they want to change, what's working, what's not working. We have a meeting right after the Congress with all of the heads of the different kind of volunteer areas. And we kind of hash out what worked, what didn't, what worked for three years and is no longer working, all that stuff. Mm. We talk about it. And then I start planning. And you're the only one planning it or do you have somebody else that you plan it with? at least for that beginning, like the first few months, is it only you and somebody No, it's else? only me. Wow. It's only wow. me. And I, I mean, I, 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 I talk things out with different people. You know, I have a registration coordinator and a volunteer coordinator. Um, and then I also have, you know, friends that I talk to or other Congress organizers that I bounce ideas off of. Um, but I do all the planning stuff myself. And, and I have somebody who also helps with all the social media and, so I'm always talking to them, but I do all the planning. I decide who I'm going to hire. I decide who the artists will be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just start. Yeah, but it's a full year. What's the process of inviting artists? Because you've had some pretty incredible names mm-hmm. uh, over the years. Is there a selection process for you? Uh, for me, it has to be somebody that I really respect mm. and admire. Somebody that is... I mean, actually, sorry, there's, there's a few things they need to be, they need to be like a triple threat. They need to be able to teach, perform, and they need to be a fun, nice person. Yes. Mm. Yeah. So if they're going to come to the event, but they're never going to talk to anybody or never social dance or never come down to the ballroom or never be a part of the event, Mm. that's, that's tough for me. Um, So I really want them to be a part of everything. Because it's part of the experience, right? Like they they have to be good instructors because then people attending the classes are like, oh my God, it was amazing. I learned so much. 
Yeah. But, and then if they perform even better, because then they inspired the audience, but also if people are able to relate to them on a personal level, then that's just like, okay, people just go. Yeah. 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 And so the selection, I mean, it's some of the artists I bring because they also judge because they, you know, a lot of the artists do a lot of different things at the event. Um, and I have to be able to trust them and to know that their word is their word. You know, there's a lot of artists that, not a lot, but there's some artists where, you know, you might hire them and then they back out at the last minute or, or things like that. And so I really need people that are going to be professional and that I can rely on mm -hmm. in that mm -hmm. way. And yeah, it's, I try to, I have to like them, you know, I mean, it's kind of selfish, but I have to like their show and like their work. Mm. Um, and I also have to think that it will fit with, with the event and with the community, you know, I kind of know, you know, I hear and people tell me and people email me and, and tell me who they want and who they want, who they wish would come. And so I do listen to that. And also, you know, you see which artists make the biggest impact, which ones have the biggest workshops, yep. uh, which ones get the standing ovations, which ones are, are just respected and, and looked up to. I feel like I want to bring master coaches, master instructors. Yes. I feel like that's the whole point of a Congress. And it's to teach, to learn from the best of the best. And just as a, I'm just curious, whenever you are hosting the Congresses and whatnot, are there any private parties with all these artists outside of the Congress? <laughs> I, I, just, I just need to know. <laughs> I would be the last one to know. Oh yeah? <laughs> so they wouldn't tell me. Um, yeah, some of, I mean, some of them get together and they, you know, they have a drink or they hang out. I mean, you have to understand a lot of these people, they travel everywhere. They did travel every weekend. And so those people become part of your family. They're your, they're really close friends. Yes. Mm. And you get to know them you know, it's like being with somebody in a dance class, you see them every week, and then you become yes. friends. And then, and then all of a sudden, they're part of your inner circle, or they're part of your life. Mm -hmm. um, it, it has that type of feeling as well. You know, Tito and Tamara, I've known for 20 years. Wow. And I, you know, I, and I, they've been to my house, I've been to their house, you know, I, I've, so I've cool. seen her pregnant, I've, I've held their baby. Mm. I've, I've watched him grow up, like, it, there's just a different level of, um, it's like a family. Mm -hmm. So, but no, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure there's parties. Um, <laughs> I don't know about them. I usually find out after the fact that I'll be, actually some of my, like the people that work at steps or some of my friends are like, oh yeah. So I was at the after party and I'm like, what after party? Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, we just don't tell you these things. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So there's, there's definitely after parties. Um, I mean, yeah, sometimes there's, Sometimes they'll all get together for a drink before they come downstairs or, you know, sometimes on the Sunday night, they're all tired and they're all just kind of chilling at a table and they're just talking and laughing and, and sharing stories and, and catching up, you know, yeah. cause they're, they're old friends, some of them. So, yeah. but yeah. I don't know if you hear about the after parties, you can better I'll, text I'll, I'll, Yeah, I'll, I'll text you. Jen. Like so room 42. <laughs> I think if you want to know about the after parties, you need to ask Eric, Eric Ketty from Calgary. He, oh. he knows he's inside there always one person that plans it he's, okay <laughs> he's one of the guys he him and kelly run the competition for me and he likes to have after parties so i don't know i think if anybody's <laughs> guilty of one he's probably one of them 
I can ask him. That is so cool. <laughs> What's been one of your most memorable moments over the years at the Congress? Oh my God. Oh wow. There's so many. Um, one really beautiful one was on the 10 year anniversary. Uh, three guys that taught at my studio went behind my back and did an entire flash mob with not only like, I don't know, a hundred dancers from Toronto, but with dancers from all over the world. Wow. And I had no idea. They were rehearsing in my studio and I had no idea. And they sat me down on the Sunday night and they came out and they sat me on the stage and I don't even know if we have great footage of it because it, mm. not many people knew it was about to happen. Yes. And so nobody was ready to, you know, kind of record it. And so they all came out in groups and they all came out down the aisles from the audience and they all did this whole shine routine. It was that really is beautiful. so cool. Wow. Do you, estimating the number of people, do you remember roughly? Oh, like... I don't know. I think over a hundred. Wow. That's That's, I, that is crazy. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they did some like, you know, by video and like Grupo Lafia from Italy took part in it. Wow. And there was other people that came in and did like a little cameos and did part of the shine routine. Yeah. It was really, really great. I, I wish somebody <laughs> would give me a really good video of it. Oh. <laughs> it's gotta be out there somewhere. So that was the 10 year anniversary. Um, there's just been, I don't know, I, I, I feel like every year there's always really special moments or um, when, you know, it feels really great when I bring somebody new. Mm. I try every year to bring somebody that has never been to Canada before. And so, and, a, and like a big, a big name. So like the first year I brought Antonio and Jasmina mm -hmm. from Italy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it was their first time in Canada and it was so cool to go into their workshop and the first two rows of people taking the class were all teachers and like international teachers, like Canadian teachers, like American, like from New York, yeah. wow. it was all instructors that were at the front of the room taking their class. Um, so that was, that was cool. You know, it's, it's nice to see. I wish people could see in the back end how collaborative that high level of salsa performer, kind of worldwide salsa star, how collaborative they are. Mm. They all help each other with their choreographies. They all help each other with, you know, if one of them is known for their tricks, they will help the other couples that aren't as well known for their tricks. And then the couple that's well known for their shines will help the couple with the tricks with their shines. Like they mm. all collaborate. They help each other. They um, they take privates with each other. That's they amazing. support one another. It's it's really great. And do you want to shoot the next? Yeah. This next question is um, interesting. So I think when I go to a congress, for me, I'm just attending. So I'm just kind of in awe at everything and everything. If it's if it's a good congress, everything's running smoothly. But when I really think about it, it probably costs a lot of money to put. Congress on. <laughs> and especially hearing that you're like the sole, the main organizer behind it. How do you get the funds for Canada Salsa Congress, especially with all the artists that you bring and, and, and the sponsorships too? Like, how does that work? I gamble every year. <laughs> wow. There is no, there is no funding. Like you don't apply for any kind <laughs> no. of Grants sponsorship, or... nothing. No, I, we, I've applied for a grant once 
and it took two of us five eight hour work days to fill in the grant application and we were denied wow. and so i'm like i this isn't worth my time you know yeah. um it's an interesting you know when you're running a big event different expenses are due at different times so you don't pay for everything necessarily months in advance. Mm -hmm. Some things you pay a couple of months in advance. Some things you pay six months in advance. Some things you pay the week before. Some things you pay the day after. Mm -hmm. So it, it balances out. And so, but every year I gamble that by bringing all of these huge artists, because I, I bring a lot of artists. I bring a lot yeah. more than a lot of <laughs> other events and a lot of, you know, expensive flights and um, so to, you know, to bring 40 artists is, is a lot. Um, wow. so it's a gamble every year and I've just learned over the years, um, to manage the stress. And, and also to believe that the people will come and that the people have a good time and that they learned a lot and laughed a lot and danced a lot and didn't sleep a lot. <laughs> and that they want to come back a lot of our attendees come back year after year after year yeah mm. and so but yeah every person who runs a congress is taking a huge financial risk every single year Oy. wow wow i had no idea now tying all of these that you're sharing with us tying it <laughs> to the pandemic i'm assuming that you already had made some expenses for 2020 uh Canada Congress, right? Some, but I was in a very lucky position compared to a lot of other events. Um, so because my event was in October and everything happened in March, yes, okay. I hadn't spent too much money yet. Okay. Um, I have a lot of great friends who had events in March and April and May, and they lost, you know, tens of thousands of dollars because oh, yeah. everything had been paid for. Yes. So um, they're just really hoping that 2021 they can have an event and they can start to recoup some of those losses. Yeah. Um, I was, I was, I think, pretty blessed that I had a bit of time to see what was happening before yes. I had to decide. Yes. Um, and I hadn't spent that much yet. So luckily it wasn't, you know, catastrophic for me, but I think for a lot of people it was really, really difficult and so when did you decide that you were not going to run the event uh, i think it was june june okay mm -hmm. so there was still hope during a few months um to be honest i knew at the beginning of may end of april beginning of may i knew in my gut that it was not going to happen i just knew there's no way there's no way that we were going to get from where we were to where we had to be to allow, you know, 2000 people in a ballroom Yes. or yes. even 500 people or even 300 people in a ballroom. Yeah. So I knew, I knew pretty much by the end of April, beginning of May. Um, and then I publicly announced it. I think it was in late June when I like fully had dealt with everything and had, you know, dealt with the hotel and, 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 done everything that had to be done mm -hmm. yeah you knew back then that this wasn't gonna it wasn't gonna be enough time for us to recover enough yeah looking forward right now do you think 2021 at that point we're gonna be recovered enough 
for an event of that magnitude or maybe 50% of that magnitude? I honestly don't know. It just started occurring to me in the past month that 2021 is not a given because this whole time I thought it was. I definitely think there will be an event. I definitely think I will run an event on that weekend. I definitely think there will be workshops, you know, competition shows. I don't know what the, what the parameters will be. I don't know how many people will be allowed to have. Yes. So it might be smaller. Um, it might be slightly, you know, there might be some differences, like things that we had thought about for this year when we weren't sure what was going to happen. Um, and that we're still, I'm still thinking in my head for next year. Um, I, I do think I go on my gut mm -hmm. clearly. <laughs> so my gut is saying there will be an event. I don't know if there'll be 5,000 people at it. Um, but I really do feel there will be an event and they're just, you know, it might be smaller and it might be a lot more Canadians yeah. in terms of attendees. You know, I'm not yeah. sure what the borders will be like. I'm not sure if Americans yeah. will be able to fly here. I don't know if people, will, I don't think I'm praying that we don't have quarantines by then. So we'll see. Hmm. Yeah, trust me, I want a Congress. I know, uh, you know, we want Congresses, yeah. we want socials, we want yes. everything. Yeah. Yes, yes. I think, I don't know, I, I don't know, I, I do feel like there will be one next year. Fingers crossed. I was going to do it, but then I realized that people won't be able to see We're, we're crossing, we're crossing <laughs> we're all the fingers. Crossing fingers. Cross fingers right now. <laughs> we're all crossing our fingers. Uh, Jennifer, is running Steps Dance Studio and organizing the Canada uh, Congress, the Canada Salsa and Bachata Congress, your full-time job, or is that a side project? Oh, God, no, that's my full-time job. That is your full-time job. <laughs> yeah, they're e they each could be a full-time job. Okay, mm. yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, that's 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 all I have energy for. Yeah, yeah because full -time. I think, to be honest, I <laughs> to me, it was a mystery. It's like, okay, what is this woman on? Because if no. she has a full-time job and running all these two, mm -hmm. all these things, she's on something. No, 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 the business is full-time. Full Okay. Yeah, both and Angelo, my business partner at, at Steps, he's full time. Like we, this is this is all we do is run the studio, and then I run the Congress. How many times have you guys been to the Congress? I've been Twice? two times, I think. I think Whoa, that's your babies. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Congress and, babies. And to me, it's the reason why is because uh, for two years I was out of the city, so I was living mm -hmm. in Thunder Bay. Yeah. And October is when, well, I was in university, so there was right. no way I could just fly yeah. to to have a weekend of no sleep to go back to school <laughs> you know like that but don't yeah. you regret it now yes today i regret every single time that yeah. i actually passed on the opportunity to go anywhere that yeah. is yeah today i i regret not going out social dancing more in the past few years yes mm. yeah but so hey I you really... don't know you don't know what you have until you lose it exactly right exactly so. exactly i can't even imagine yeah the day you know when we can go to socials and, <laughs> and go to and, concerts and and travel to learn and uh, again it's just insane yeah because just like you mentioned we don't know how the border situation is going to be like next year because if you have if you have to quarantine upon arriving in a country there's no way i don't i don't think that is going to be a thing in a year yeah i think they will have 
shorter quarantine periods or no quarantine periods or quick testing or, you know, two day, yeah. whatever. I think there's, there's definitely going to be something. Um, so I, I can't see, I can't see that being a thing a year from now. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> fingers crossed. <laughs> All of us, fingers and toes. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think so. I'm pretty optimistic. <laughs> so yeah. there will be a Congress. I can't believe there was a time where hundreds of people would breathe so close to each other in one room. It just seems so wild to me now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But I think we also have to check ourselves and remind ourselves all the time that however many years we've been alive, this is just a little blip. Yes. Mm. You know, it, I don't like when people talk about like the new normal, Mm. um, because I don't think this is normal Mm-mm. and I don't think um, it should stay this way forever, you know? And, and it won't. I don't right. think it will, right? Like, no. We'll recover. No, yeah. It's just a matter of... Yeah. Uh, Jennifer, is there anything that we didn't ask you that you would like to share to our listeners, to the community? I'm doing a virtual salsa and bachata competition. Um, so... If- we couldn't have our competition live at the Canada Salsa Congress this year. So we're doing a virtual version in January. So we just started promoting that. And so it's just a way for people, a lot of the dancers, especially the Congress goers, you know, they're used to an annual calendar of competitions that they prepare for, that they look, look forward to, that they have goals set. And so I felt like it was really important to, for those people who, especially during this time when everything's kind of taken away from you, I feel like a lot of people need a goal to work towards mm. so we're doing this competition this online competition perfect and can you give us more information as to how to register what what are the prices yeah. to register and all of that yeah they can just go to canadasalsacongress.com and they can go to the competition page and it has all the divisions there there's solo divisions and duos and team shines and they can register online and then they will submit their videos by december 31st and there will be a panel of international judges, international and Canadian judges. And so it'll be, it'll be a real competition, but online. Yeah, that's mm. amazing. Like you said, <laughs> it's, it's something to definitely look forward to and prepare for. Mm. Because mm. I, f- I feel that that's, that's something that this pandemic has taken away. Yeah, has taken away from a lot of people, right? That a lot of people were training in in dance teams because oh, yeah. they right. were expecting to compete or perform at socials right. or congresses and then suddenly it's like okay this is this is not a possibility anymore so right. what do we do now yeah and it's their goals it's also their social circle yes yes it's also for their you know it's for their mental health it's not that we ever think it's for our mental health we don't realize like you said mm-hmm. any right you don't realize until after oh that was really benefiting yeah. my mental health keeping me sane <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have one question for you guys. If there was something that you would like to see at a Congress or what's the one thing you are missing the most about the Congress or that you would love to do at the Congress next year? Live music. Yeah. That would be amazing. Absolutely. It's really expensive. I used to have live music. I had live music for the first like, 10, 12 years. Wow. I had a live band. And I am planning on having a live band for the 20th anniversary. Anniversary. 
the next year might be hard. Yes, yes, yes. yes. But I will try. Yeah. I will um, take that into account. That's a good one. Good answer. Do you have one, Annie? Yeah, I think um, for me, I really love panels. Like, I like to hear the stories that artists have, which is one of the reasons we started the podcast. Because sometimes it's so intimidating. You see these people that are all in these amazing costumes right this amazing makeup and they're performing and and it just feels like they're so separate from us but then doing the podcast we realize everybody has the same issues everybody Mm. is human those same artists that we look up to have stage fright and it it just makes me connect to them so much more and connect Mm. to the scene so much more so i would love to see a panel where we get to to hear what this really some artist stories yeah Yeah. okay that's a good idea i actually might I might try to do something like that, um, even virtually this year. That would be now really in cool. the Congress and that have, really um, cool. yeah, yeah. I did some on the anniversary, like on the Thanksgiving weekend. I did do an interview with Tito and Tamara, and then I did another one with Adriano and Samantha. Mm-hmm. So maybe I will, yeah, maybe I'll do those next in twenty twenty one, kind of leading up to the event. Yes, and that would be an amazing way to also promote the event, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, hey guys, make sure you guys tune in to. Yeah. To the interview of two artists yeah. or a couple of artists that are that gonna be in be. the Congress. Yeah. yeah. Right. That would be really cool. Yeah. Or a panel, like you said, you know, mm-hmm. have yeah. them all at the same time and yeah. being off of each other and talking together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That'd uh, be fun. Jennifer, uh, how do we find information about the, the studio, about your projects, mm, the, the sure. Congress, everything? They can go to stepsdancestudio.com mm-hmm. or canadasalsacongress.com. Mm-hmm. And on Instagram, it's Canada Salsa and Bachata Congress and Steps Dance Studio Toronto, I believe. <laughs> yes, yeah, Steps Dance Studio Toronto. So we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, our websites. Um, they can find us, yeah, everywhere. And they can reach out if they want to come and take a class. They can do a free trial. They can do a class online. They can do a class in person. Perfect. Perfect. Sounds good. All right, guys. So remember, make sure you check out Steps and Studio and the Canada Salsa and Bachata Congress because uh, you said the virtual competition is coming up in January. Mm-hmm. Register. And Jennifer, thank you very much for your time. It was amazing. Thanks for having me, guys. You're great. All the best with your projects and we'll see each other again. Yes, thank you. Yeah, so. and thank you for everything you do for the community. Oh, thanks. Please make sure to support Jennifer by signing up for a dance class at Steps Dance Studio and check out the virtual competition at canadasalsacongress.com.